Rewind. Your Week in Review is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association. Bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate. This week on Rewind, your week in review. The Racine County Sheriff says he's identified cases of election fraud at a nursing home. We'll tell you more about their investigation and who they're asking to get involved. Plus, the fallout from a nonpartisan audit bureau report and the Republican effort underway to further review its results. And the redistricting battle gets heated at the state capitol, with the public weighing in for the first time on proposed GOP maps. All this and more on Rewind, your week in review for October 29th. Hi, I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. J.R., we are approaching the one-year mark of the November, one year since the mm -hmm. November 2020 election, and these investigations are still ongoing, and we now are finding out the racing sheriff launched his own investigation about a year ago alleging the Wisconsin's Elections Commission broke state law. They mm -hmm. found some instances. They're claiming they identified eight cases of election fraud at a Mount Pleasant nursing home. Now, it's clear, we should say, no charges have been filed, but the sheriff is bringing up this debate that we've heard before regarding special voting deputies. Now, not to try to confuse people, but basically this was an argument back during the pandemic that special voting deputies were technically not allowed into nursing homes because we were trying to protect the most vulnerable from COVID-19. The sheriff is alleging that the staff who had to do that job instead and help residents vote, that some residents were not cognitively all there, they shouldn't have voted, that maybe staff filled in something they didn't want to do. Um, let's kind of talk about how the Elections Commission is responding and some of the key takeaways that you found overall from this uh, separate investigation. Uh, one, Republicans believe the Elections Commission is a lawless agency. This is confirmed between this and the audit bureau report from last week. They think it's out of control. There are all kinds of problems there. They're calling for mass resignations, everything from Megan Wolf, the administrator, to commissioners, to staff. So there's that going on. And the interesting thing about this to me is this allegation from the Virginia County Sheriff that the commissioners basically committed misconduct in office, a felony, in directing local clerks not to send the voting deputies to ignore this law. Um, one, if he had them dead to rights, we'd be having a news conference where they'd be announcing charges, not just like the allegations. Now, granted, law enforcement often investigates a crime. The DA or the prosecutor, whatever jurisdiction is, has the authority to charge the crime. Most of the time, as we know, we find out about these things once there are charges filed or about to be filed. So that was kind of an interesting thing that it wasn't a, a joint thing with the district attorney saying, yes, we're going to file these charges. So that was one thing. Two, the sheriff and the investigator are basically absolving the local people who may have broken the law and committed felonies themselves by helping people vote or pressuring people to vote, or we're not sure what happened, saying that the Elections Commission opened the door to all this and therefore the local people really should be held accountable for it. That's kind of interesting as well. What I'm watching now is what's next. Mm -hmm. Historically, Wisconsin took away the, elect the power to administer elections from the Secretary of State in 1974, created the Elections Board. The Elections Board was at times interesting, had its problems. There was a bipartisan effort to replace the Elections Board with the Government Accountability Board. Republicans hate the Government Accountability Board because it always had a hand in the John Doe investigation of Scott Walker's campaign. They created the Elections Commission. Now, they don't like the Elections Commission. 
So this is a big picture question, but where do you go next? Right. Do and, you know, like you mentioned, too, you have to have a DA take up this case, too. Um, the racing sheriff is also calling on the Wisconsin DOJ to get involved. Um, and it's, in a sense, like you said, it's a little premature because usually you hold press conferences mm -hmm. when charges um, occur. Let's first hear from the sheriff um, a little bit about um, some of the allegations and concerns that he brought forth during his press conference. They decided to never even bother to try to send the special voting deputies. They had inconsistent positions where at times they said, ah, the SVDs are never going to be let in. At times they said the special voting deputies will only be let in occasionally. At times they said there will be no uniformity about how many special voting deputies are let in, how many are not let in. So we should just do it this way and just mail it. Forget the statute, forget all the shells, forget the shell knots, just mail it and tell the employees at the facility, yeah, you, you can help them. That's what the WEC decided uh, in contrast to the law, in contrast to the advice of the governor's office, in contrast to the legislative con uh, council, and in contrast to the United States Constitution. And it was shortly after this press conference, Chair, we started seeing Republicans calling for resignations of uh, Megan Wolf, who is the administrator of the Elections Commission. However, in most cases, she doesn't cast a vote when it comes to these decisions, when it came to these decisions about special voting deputies going into nursing homes. Um, and, you know, we also saw during the press conference the sheriff kind of play this video of one of the commissioners saying, you know, well, you know, we're not trying to break the law, but we're trying to do what's best and trying to get everyone else to vote. So it's this fine line of mm -hmm. everyone should be able to participate to vote, but we're also trying to protect the people as best as possible during this COVID-19 pandemic. So they were kind of stuck in this difficult position. The commission is empowered in state law to administer elections. The question is whether that power to administer elections also gives them the power to suspend a requirement under state law. You often hear me say, I'm not an attorney, that's because attorneys who are paid a lot of money disagree about these things. I'm not sure how the interplay of those two laws work and which one supersedes the other one. To your point about the commissioners, interested Robin Voss, for example, the Assembly Speaker, called the Megawolf to resign. There was a lack of confidence in her. His appointee to the commission, Dean Knutson, voted to suspend the requirements of sending special deputies into the nursing homes. His statement was silent about Dean Knutson. Dean Knutson co-authored the law that created the Elections Commission. So. Now, Chris Capia, Senate President, he wants all six commissioners to resign. That would include Bob Spindell, a GP appointee who became like this cult-like figure in some conservative circles during 2020 election commission hearings when they were talking about stuff from Kanye West to right. special voting deputies. Um, there is real Republican anger over the elections commission. They feel like the deck is stacked against them. Their issue with staff is they felt like staff gives advice to the commission. The commissioners then basically rubber stamp the staff once, which... I've sat through a number of election commission hearings. It doesn't always happen that way. But they feel like the staff is from Madison, which is uber-liberal. Therefore, they're uber-liberals. They're giving bad advice to the commissioners. The commissioners are rubber-stamping it, and we're not getting a fair shake. And I think what we're going to see play out, too, is most Republicans I'm talking to want this huge overhaul of WEC. And whether that happens, I think, is going to tell about next year's governor's race if they're going to have an ally um, in the executive branch or not. Look, Megan Wolf's not going anywhere. She was confirmed 32 to 0, 32 to 0 in May of 2019 for a four-year term, ends June 30th of 2023. She fired back in a statement late yesterday that uh, about a partisan attempt to undermine elections, essentially, or, or undermine what she's doing, Elections Commission. 
So she's fairly safe. Unless she decides she's had enough, she's not going anywhere. <laughs> right. they, they don't have the votes to impeach or anything like that. Right. Um, the question becomes what happens next fall? Mm -hmm. Because if Republicans want these changes, they need to ally in the governor's office to do it. Governor Evers is standing in the way of them doing what they want to do. So do you have a Governor Clayfish or a Governor Nicholson or a Governor, pick a Republican name, that would okay these things? Again, to my point originally, earlier, where do you go next? Do you put it back on the Secretary of State? Now, to some Republicans, they're calling for that. They've not coalesced around that idea yet, uh, but there are some calls for Republicans to do that. To them, who are the people are calling for it, you put a person in charge of elections who's accountable to voters. That if this person went too far, the voters could say, ah, that's enough, and throw you out. Mm -hmm. Others will go, look, look at the elections for Secretary of State in like Pennsylvania and Arizona, where clearly pro-Donald Trump candidates running a platform where the election was stolen are running to become Secretary of State and oversee elections. To them, this is the danger. You get somebody who's on the fringe of what's going on here in charge of elections, what cameras that open up? You know, would there be some kind of restraint because you want to get reelected? Maybe, but it would be, it's interesting to watch if Republicans are in control of everything next year, or sorry, 2023, where do they go with elections commission? Does it come something else? Back Secretary of State? Are they gonna change it again in a sense? We just had the GAB not too long ago yeah. too. Remember so. Doug LaFollette's been Secretary of State uh, for most of my lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do they want to put him in charge of elections or are they hoping for somebody else you know, to win that race and put somebody up. Just something to keep in mind. Right. Um, I do now want to go to the nonpartisan legislative audit bureau's report because it was on our show last week. We just got yep. the report in. So let's recap that a little bit because this report plays into our next topic, which is Republicans launching another investigation into this specific report. Let's highlight some of it. Um, overall, the audit found no widespread voter fraud. Um, it did recommend 30 recommendations on how the state can improve its elections. One of those recommended WIC should create a rule whether or not election officials can fill in missing information on ballot and absentee ballot envelopes. They also determine voting machines work properly. The audit also identified inconsistencies while surveying ballots. Um, one interesting point is right off the bat, shortly after this audit was released, we heard from Senator Robert Coles, who is the co-chair yep. of the audit committee. He said, despite concerns that statewide elections procedures, this audit showed us that the election was largely safe and secure. We don't hear that often yeah. from many Republicans. So um, from him being the chair on this, it, it kind of has a lot, of, a lot of weight to this. Talking about this audit, um, the biggest concern from Republicans was how some municipalities didn't hand over physical ballots. Mm -hmm. So before I get into that debate, we're gonna hear from Speaker Voss and the Republican criticism that Madison, Milwaukee, Swamico. Swamico, little Swamico, people have maybe not even heard <laughs> of that. In the audit, it revealed that they didn't physically hand over ballots due to you know, integrity concerns and recommendations that they got from the U.S. Department of Justice to only allow election staff to handle those ballots. So let's hear a little bit from the debate on this and then we'll dive into the details. So for those who are concerned about the time and the length and the cost, uh, most of that falls on the fact that our local elected officials in two cases refused to comply. We see here in Madison that they wouldn't even turn over the basic ballots to have the Legislative Audit Bureau, totally nonpartisan, totally respected, uh, even do their job. And we now see that the Attorney General is trying to stop our ability from doing something that is a basic constitutional right, which is to use the investigative power of the legislature to get to the bottom of it. We had told them, hey, 
I'm not going to let you break the chain of custody um, and touch ballots. However, if you do want to um, inspect those ballots, I will have ample staff available to turn them over, physically turn them over. Um, and they said, no, we're not interested in the ballots. And so, and, and I have the emails from them requesting what they wanted to, to, to prove that. Now, you just heard from Milwaukee County Clerks George Christensen defend his actions during this audit. And it's important to note that every clerk kind of acted differently and provided different documents. Mm -hmm. Republicans' main focus right now um, is Madison for not handing over election records, physical ballots. But overall, clerks are defending their actions because they're saying um, they were just following guidance from the U.S. Department of Justice. And according to that, this was what their um, recommendations were, that ballots must be retained either physically by election officials themselves or under their direct administrative supervision. So it's kind of like a he said, she said, mm -hmm. but these clerks are saying, listen, we're, we weren't trying not to cooperate with auditors, but then you got Republicans and just saying, well, you're supposed to cooperate and you're supposed to do everything that auditors ask you of. So the one memo we got uh, from Janet Buley, Senator Leader, was from Ledge Council, which works for the legislature. That opined that it was reasonable for Madison not to turn over the originals. So Madison offered like other things, like you could come and look at them while we handle them or give you copies, um, follow up a record request. They said that was reasonable under the DOJ guidance. Then Devin Lemahue, the Senate Majority Leader released a memo from Legislative Reference Bureau, also staffed with attorneys, also works with legislature. That memo said no. It actually, the DOJ guidance has a scenario in which you create an administrative procedure to allow ballots to be handled and records to be turned over. We've got these which, dually now reports. Again, why I always say I'm not an attorney. <laughs> um, so look, what's happening now is they're going to have a, a hearing. So Bernier's committee will find out probably in the coming days what exactly it's going to do and when. What I'm getting is going to happen is they're going to call Madison in, have them testify in person. Republicans will grill Madison about why he turned things over. They just want to get Madison to hand over what LAB wanted. It's really to, one, beat up on Madison a little bit, but two, to assert legislative authority, to, to send a message of, you can't do this, other municipalities, other agencies. If LAB comes a-knocking, you got to give them what they want, and we're going to make sure you know that going forward. I don't anticipate another audit, for example, or an addendum to the Audit Bureau report. It's more of kind of make sure people get a message from what's going on. And Senator Bernier, the chair of the Senate Elections Commission, said if possible, she did tell me, um, she might issue subpoenas, but we'll see, I think, at first, if Madison will, on their own, come and testify before their committee. And it's kind of unclear right now if either of these dueling memos change anything. Yeah. Uh, also, Audit Committee will have a review of the audit itself. So at some point, you're going to see Rob Coles and Samantha Kirkman, the co-chairs of the committee, have a hearing, and they'll bring people in and talk about what went on. A couple of interesting things about that audit. So, you know, really the focus from all the coverage was there was no widespread fraud. Republicans focused on the things that election commission did not do correctly. I mean, there are things like training hasn't been updated since, you know, a number of years on certain things. Um, you go through and look, for example, at... The ERIC system, which is a system that's a multi-state system to try and check records to see, like, if people go to different states, you know, if they move, those kinds of things. The Elections Commission didn't regularly go back to ERIC and ask for updates on things. What's interesting is state law says you have to belong to ERIC, but doesn't require you to do anything with the ERIC information. <laughs> that's the statute. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of folks in Madison, Democracy in the Park, right? This whole to-do from Republicans of these are legal ballots. 
um, there were 11 other clerks who held events outside of an office or whatnot to collect ballots. That didn't get a whole lot of attention from Republicans who were incensed about democracy in the park. Part of the reason why they did it, the other municipalities, was a lot of clerks in small towns operate out of their homes. They didn't want people coming to their homes to cast absentee ballots because of COVID. Um, there are a lot of little things like that in the audit that I thought were really interesting, didn't a lot of attention, but uh, what I'm watching for now is, again, where do Republicans go with this? How is it playing the Gavelin investigation, which is ongoing and has it its own issues going on? And where do we go from here with all this? Well, you just had the perfect <laughs> launching point to our next uh, Gableman weekly update. Mm -hmm. um, but we didn't actually hear from him himself. Uh, reporters got the chance to talk to Assembly Speaker Robin Voss earlier this week and basically asked him, you know, what's the next move? Are more subpoenas after this audit possible? And he said... It's certainly possible, if not likely, we will see those. And what he's referring to is what we've been talking uh, before, is this Madison refusal to hand over physical ballots. And what it is is that, you know, instead of just turning over ballots in front of you, they want to actually hold them, touch them. And they're saying, no, you can't do that. Um, so with the timeline of possible subpoenas comes on the heels before a judge will decide whether or not the subpoena issued to Megan Wolf, WEC administrator, is valid. That's the case that we recapped a little mm -hmm. bit last week that the DOJ says, look, we don't think any of these, this subpoena specifically is valid because you're asking Megan Wolf to come testify in private, which we know has been an issue with Attorney General Josh Call that he's been nitpicking about. So the timeline now, JR, it seems like it's not going to end because that hearing is scheduled for December 23rd. Yes. So what happens in the meantime, you know, is what we're kind of watching for. And then Gableman's contract, how much longer is it going to go on? So important to note that the difference between what the Assembly authorized, what the Senate authorized, is that the Senate intends to have people come testify in person before a hearing, a public hearing, as opposed to Gableman having people come to a private office in a strip mall in Brookfield to provide a deposition, essentially, according to what call filed. So in the hearing on Monday, judge denied a request for temporary restraining order, said um, if things change, if there are moves to enforce these subpoenas, we can talk about that. But otherwise, we're going to do this briefing schedule, hearing December 23rd, go from there. That pushes into 2022 easily. What Robin also talked about was they may try to address these concerns about the testifying in private, maybe find a way to move this up or get things rolling earlier. There are no signs of this thing wrapping up, though, anytime soon. And there are a couple things about that. One, Republicans wanted it done to be the foundation for new bills. The Audit Bureau report plus Gable's investigation, Robin said, was going to be the foundation for another round of legislation. He hoped that they would convince Governor Evers to sign these bills, and they become law for 2022 election. This is going to bleed into 2022, which means we're going to be talking about this election security stuff into early next year. We've talked about before, there's a segment of the GOP base that is just like incensed that this thing is all run amok, that there's widespread fraud going on. Why aren't you guys doing more about it? I talk to members all the time who say, I went to such and such meeting and got beat up about this, that they're not, doing, they're not getting those people to be placated. In the meantime, they're stuck talking about this and we're talking about other things are coming up in 2022. And we also know President Trump wants Wisconsin to continue these efforts. He was actually very pleased to see mm -hmm. the Racine County Sheriff uh, press conference that was held yesterday about their allegations into the nursing home. So this is this peer pressure where I think Republicans want this to be still top of mind, but it's stretching out longer and longer 
uh, could just have more impacts on them overall. The Seeing County Sheriff said what he was doing is not about 2020 or overturning the election results. Robin Voss has said what he's doing is not about overturning election results. Michael Gibbons said it's not about election results. But by continuing the things going on, you're feeding those people who believe that they should be overturned. Tim Rantham, probably from Campbellsport, a uh, member of the Assembly, called for the decertification of the Wisconsin election results after the Racine County Sheriff's announcement. I am unaware of anything in state law that allows Wisconsin to decertify an election. What's more, as far as I know, under federal law, once your electoral votes are cast, that's it. Mm-hmm. There's no way to pull them back. So, again, it feeds that conspiracy theory of there was something that was stolen that we can probably somehow overturn the election and declare Donald Trump the rightful winner and make him president again. Right. Um, the other big story this week was the first time people were able to weigh in on the GOP proposed redistricting uh, maps. This kind of launched off the redistricting debate and battle in Wisconsin. Um, GOP leaders were the first to testify, and they insisted the maps are fair, legal, and based on feedback, and that they met the criteria set by state and federal law. Democrats, of course, are beating on the same drum that these are unfairly drawn, and they are asking to start this entire process over. Before we get into this debate, let's listen uh, from some people who provided testimony and GOP leaders defending their maps. We have been fighting for a decade for maps that reflect the will of Wisconsin's people. And as the elections show, the electorate shifts back and forth, the Assembly and the Senate do not. They're locked in, and they're locked in because we have a majority party that rather than wanting to reflect the will of the people and do the people's work, wants only to retain power and to reflect the will of their special interest supporters. We've had five elections. Uh, We've had every opportunity for people to vet those over the course of time. And I think the record is clear. Democrats have a problem winning in much of Wisconsin because your agenda is clearly out of step with the reality for most of Wisconsin. What I hear in your frustration is the inability of Democrats and their candidates to connect with voters in every part of the state. At the end of the day, The frustration of not being able to win elections shouldn't somehow be blamed on maps which are drawn through the democratic process. Uh, And the first person that we heard from was Sachin Chetta from Fair Maps Coalition. It's one of these groups that's rallying around uh, the gerrymandering maps and trying to uh, propose different ones. Um, But, you know, we already know there's right now still two pending lawsuits Mm -hmm. over this redistricting battle. So, look, uh, Robin Voss and Devlin are correct. The maps they drew met the federal and state standards. Um, there is no state standard or federal standard for fairness or like partisan balance. There is none. Compactness, those kinds of things, they're all there. Now, they try to argue that maintaining the core of these districts is a long-standing principle. Ah, you know, not so much. It's not the federal constitution or state constitution, but they wanted that to be a standard because they want to argue that these maps follow all these standards. Here's the bottom line. We're going to court because governor's going to veto these things. Um, Robin Voss made a big point of saying these maps are fair and Democrats, if you're better candidates, if you're better connecting with people, you'd win more seats. It's your own fault. He pointed to Tammy Baldwin and the number of seats that she won under the maps uh, in 2018. Now, Tammy Baldwin won statewide by almost 11 points and outspent her opponent almost 6-1. to one. That doesn't happen very often in statewide in elections races, yeah. in Wisconsin or in legislative races. That said, Democrats have a problem. They have cratered in rural areas in Wisconsin they have population centers in Madison, Milwaukee, you know, your college campuses, your cities. 
but out state, they're hurting. And it's easier for Republicans to make these maps because of that demographic problem. We're going to court again. So they'll take these up sometimes on the floor, uh, first, second week of November. First, second week, yeah. We'll see when. Evils will veto them. Then we're in court. The question becomes, we talked before, what will the court accept? Will the Supreme Court of Wisconsin say, yeah, we're going to take this map as is. We think it's good to go. Or will they want something else? Um, that's what I'm watching. You know, by the way, if the Supreme Court of Wisconsin or the federal court, whoever court ends up drawing Wisconsin's map, the final version, if that map is not the map that Robin Voss and Dead Lemmy who drew, if they have a Republican governor in 2023, they'll come back and pass the map that they had for a committee this week because that's allowed. Even though the court draws a map, courts have said, you are free to come back and draw your own map after that. So if they get control in 2022, they'll come back in 23 and pass the map that they want. So this map, whatever court map is drawn, is not going to be placed for a full decade. Right. If, if, if Republicans win, win. control of everything. Oh, that's very interesting. No, um, just want to quick uh, highlight one of the school board recalls uh, on our next topic um, that is happening in Wisconsin. I say it's unique because it's one of the only ones in Wisconsin out of dozens of recall petitions that actually were successful. So on Tuesday, the Mequon Thiesfeld residents will vote to recall four school board members. Now, the debate is specifically dealing with COVID-19 policies, critical race theory, really fueling this recall. And so if residents vote in favor, it will be the first successful recall during the pandemic in Wisconsin and second in the nation. Now, this is overall something I'm watching because how is this going to turn out voters? Yes, Mm -hmm. it's just a school board recall, but if this is successful, it can really show how much COVID-19 policies, critical race theory is fueling this base to turn out and start to make some changes. This is also gaining national attention because the Republican mega donor, uh, Richard uh, Uline, is the top contributor in this effort. He gave $6,000 to recall committee members, according to new newly released finance reports. So bigger picture here. We'll see how this impacts future elections going on, as we've talked multiple times about pandemic turning out voters overall and what's going to happen in the future elections. Critical race theory, uh, mass COVID-19 mandates, Republicans all see the opportunity to capture that energy for 2022. The only question is, where's a pandemic at late summer of next year? Exactly. If we're back to where we were like in June, where things were like really like they were turning the corner and kind of almost over it, Maybe that goes away. But if not, yeah, it's potentially a potent issue. Mm -hmm. And it just depends how you are physically Mm -hmm. doing, too. Economy, um, how you're feeling about your safety and whether or not you're in school. I mean, all all these other things that have happened over the past, it seems like, almost two years now. (laughs) Um, Now let's get to stock picks. We got rising for Mark Pocan. So, look, uh, Mark Pocan used to be chair of the Progressive Caucus. He's now kind of like a senior (laughs) member of the caucus. He is in the thick of everything between uh, Build Back Better, reconciliation. He is everything. Every time there's a White House meeting, you see Mark Pocan's name in the readout going there. It's a sign that he's got some sway with his caucus, the Progressive Caucus. It didn't really have a lot of like pull when he was chairing it. Now that Dems are in charge of everything, they have some sway. They are play major players in this. So the question for Pocan going forward is, what next? Pocan will be in that seat as long as he wants it. I mean, it's a hugely the second congressional is way Democratic. No matter how you draw the maps, it's going to be way Democratic because Dane County is a powerhouse in politics. The question becomes, where's he going to go in leadership? Does he want to be in the leadership or be some like a committee chair? Like, where's he going? And this harkens back to the legislature when he was the co-chair of the Finance Committee. 
and really was a player behind the scenes. He wasn't the speaker, mm -hmm. but he was definitely had uh, his finger on the pulse of the ADCC, the campaign committee for so many Dems and running those elections. So he's, he's back kind of where he was, you know, a decade ago, being a major player in politics. And uh, mixed is this constitutional carry law, which is part of this uh, hunting freedom package yeah. that Republicans have been touting. Senate passed nine of the 13 bills, I think it was, on Monday. Uh, the ones that didn't make it on that first round were like constitutional carry, uh, allowing the hunting of... Sandhill cranes. Thank you. And for every rule the DNR proposed, you have to repeal like two or three. Uh, look, when Republicans pushed through concealed carry a decade ago, we're talking these emotional hearings. They were packed wall to wall. We had a hearing on Wednesday, no and nobody there. showed up. No one was there. <laughs> there were like three people who testified on the bill, including the co-authors. And I kind of thought that was kind of interesting. There's a debate among Republicans right now of what to do with this bill. So Democrats said, look, we didn't go to the hearing or raise a fuss because it's not going to become law. Even if they pass it, governors are going to veto it. So why put the effort into, like, you know, say something, whatever, let it go. For Republicans, it's, do you want this vote now? Because it could be a tough vote for some people, especially in suburban areas, versus waiting until there may be a Republican governor and then take the tough vote and get a law out of it versus a tough vote getting a veto and having nothing to show for it. Mm -hmm. So that's the question we're going through right now. Look, even when they had full control four years ago, it didn't get on either floor of the House. I have my doubts is get there this time around. I also want to say Scott Walker was against it as well. Uh, I don't remember if he was for or against it. Scott Walker had ways of kind of like just keeping arm's length with yes. issues. <laughs> kind uh, of giving you a tidbit, but also it's not going to reach my desk. So I'm not worried about it, basically. Right. Yeah. Um, and then let's move on to falling. <laughs> I agree with you on this pick this week. The GOP gubernatorial field uh, of candidates so had made some headlines this week. A lot of drama, a lot of moving yeah. pieces, a lot of messiness. Um, so John Maka, who's considering running, um, I talked to him. He says he's polling about whether he should get in the race. And he's polling to see a three-person race with him, Kevin Nicholson, and Rebecca Clayfish in the field. Now, a different interview, the General Sentinel, he said he was polling, and Eric Hovde was involved in his effort. Hovde's people tell me that, no, that's not true. There's this kind of weird thing going on where Mako's dropping names left and right about people who are helping him out, and they're kind of like keeping him at arm's length. So that's going on. Then you have Rebecca Clayfish, who's getting the opposition research dump under this week, right? Uh, people who are candidates, public office, get tracked. Um, they record what you say or have people in the room record what you say. And now she's, her comments are coming out, like saying that they're going to get down in the mud with Democrats about heart, ballot harvesting. If they're going to do it, we're going to do it. And this whole thing. And then... Kevin Nicholson, who's not in the race but thinking about but it. But kind of in the race but not declared for U.S. Senate or Governor yet. That that's dumb as a bag of hammers. So that's interesting. Then you have Sean Duffy, who two weeks ago, Donald Trump said, run, Sean, run. He's nowhere to be found. It's real <laughs> quiet all of a sudden. Yes. So, look, uh, it's messy. It's a year, and a year out from the election. The general election, it's 10 months out from the primary. This will sort itself out. Um, Rebecca Clay is still the front runner. But it's a little ugly right now, and we've got to see what happens. This continues to go to the theme of there are certain Republicans who don't think much of Clayfish's chances and think they want a stronger candidate, but there's not an alternative right now. And she's done all the right things to kind of be the front runner. Mm -hmm. So what's that going to mean for her? And two, there's that energy that we talked about with the, the base about the election was stolen and whatnot. How do you capture that? Well, Clayfish's comment about, like, ballot harvesting maybe an inarticulate way of saying we need to take all of our unhappiness about like 2020 and focus it on turning out not just complaining not complaining and then you don't have people trusting the electoral system at all and they sit at home again don't know is the best way to put it don't be effective but that might be what she's trying to get at 
But yeah, it's a little messy right now, and we'll see how things progress from here. And I think it's interesting, too, where we see Donald Trump, of course, has tapped Sean Duffy, but Clayfish is kind of standing there, well, what about me? <laughs> so <laughs> we'll see what happens. All right, that's it for this week's show. I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. We'll see you next week. Rewind. Your Week in Review is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association. Bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate.